0: Yo, what up to all the party people out there in Jamland? Lando? Oh, it's your boy Jonathan Tony back again. They tried to cancel me. They tried to run me out of town. They kicked me off a of parlor. Said I was too eccentric for parlor, and they took the whole website down because of me. I'm just kidding. None of that happened. I've been very busy uh, with this little thing called life. Okay, takes a lot of time. And uh, the holidays were upon us. And I just decided, you know what? All these other big celebrities take a break. And myself, I am quite the celebrity. I was like, you deserve a break today. That's McDonald's. Anyways, no, it's good to be back. This is not season two. This is just an extension of a never-ending season. It's kind of like Narnia here on the John the Tony podcast. Always winter, never Christmas. When will he get to some substance that people care about? Well, not today. I'm just kidding. I'm very excited Horrible intro. I'm surprised that anybody ever comes on this show if they hear these introductions, which I should probably stop doing because I guarantee you most people are fast-forwarding through these. And if you are, you're basic. Anyway, my guest today is awesome. And uh, it's somebody that I I haven't spent too much time with in person, um, not in the last few years at least. But I've seen what she's written on Facebook, and uh, we'll get into a little bit more about how we know each other in the actual episode. But her name is Cassie Smith. She is a lawyer, and she is the daughter of a police officer, and her mom has been in politics. And I just thought she has a unique background, first of all, just a really cool perspective to bring. But she's very intelligent, very well-spoken, and I just was like, I need to talk to—actually, it was Brittany's idea. She's like, you need to have Cassie Smith on the show, and I do whatever my wife tells me to do because I'm not crazy— but I said, you know what, Brittany? For the first time in your life, you've had a very good idea. Why do I do these introductions? They're awful. Anyway, I am very excited about this episode. I probably did just officially get myself canceled for that joke, and uh, I really just enjoyed this conversation. What I want to do with this this show and naming a podcast after yourself sounds egotistical. I couldn't come up with a better name. Tried a bunch of other things, but. What I really want to do with this show is have conversations. It's not always going to be interview-based. If I'm talking to somebody like Steven Burtner, who's a medical professional, and we're dealing with a medical pandemic, I want to mostly listen and maybe interject a few things, but I like having conversations where you hear people kind of working out ideas, wrestling through ideas, and so every episode might be a little bit different, and I also want to use this to give people a platform who I think should be able to have their voice heard, you know? It's not as easy to do a podcast as it is to, you know, write a foot post on Facebook. And I feel like I I got this tech. I understand it well enough. I'm not very good at it, but it's something. And so I just really wanted everybody to hear Cassie Smith. I think she's brilliant. I think she knows what she's talking about. And I think she has a lot of credibility. So we're going to get into a few different topics today. I really enjoyed talking with Cassie. She will be back on the show uh, 100%. So hope you enjoy it. Hope you learn a little something. Hope you think a little bit differently. And here we go. We are back here. This is the first episode I've done in a while, and it's so good to have this is the first one back. I'm here with Cassie Smith, who I've known for a few years. I don't know if we've hung out too much, but uh, you're Jacksonville native. Is that right? Yep, that's
1: right. Born and raised.
0: Yeah, and then my wife was working uh, for your mom when we first moved to Jacksonville in 2014. She was running for Congress uh, back in the day, and uh, I guess not back in the day, it was a couple of years ago, Uh, and so we met through that, and so I wanted to have Cassie on the show because I think she's got such a unique perspective uh, on life, and we're friends on Facebook, and I've watched your post, um, and you are now um, an assistant county
1: attorney, is that right? That's right, yep, for Clay County. It's where I actually live now, right outside of Jacksonville.
0: Right on, and how long have you been there?
1: I've been there since November, actually, so it's fairly new, yep. Yeah. Is what were you doing before that? So prior to that I worked um as a civil litigator. I worked um in insurance defense litigation. So okay. mostly car accidents um and some first party home claims. Yeah. Um yeah, litigation. Mostly. Is it is
0: being a lawyer is it exactly like it is in the movies?
1: No. <laughs> no. Well, That's surprising. Yeah, yeah. They make it glamorous and fun, but they don't they don't tell you the uh the dark side
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of reading pdfs and a lot combing through contracts yep a lot of reading and uh w- you went to grad school in jacksonville or where'd you go
1: so i went to law school here in jacksonville florida coastal and, Excellent. Uh, yep. graduated back in 2014
0: and is uh are you glad you're a lawyer or are you looking for like starting an etsy side project <laughs> or anything out of-
1: you know it's funny i think about that i'm like i could always just not practice law but i I do like it. Um, I don't regret going to law school. i I think now, at this point in my life, I'm trying to also do things outside of work. I think mm-hmm. everybody is just finding hobbies and things. yeah, but I don't think I want to do anything outside. That's you know, a job that yeah. I have to like earn money for. <laughs> Good call. yeah,
0: And uh, tell me a little bit about your family history. Um, and you I mentioned that your mom was in politics, your mm-hmm. dad's in, in law enforcement for a while. And just tell me a little bit about your family history and your upbringing and, uh, you know, a little background there.
1: Sure. So, um, like I said, I'm born in Jacksonville. I'm one of four children. My parents, uh, my mom, like I said, she ran for office back in 2014, but she's always worked in government in some type of way or, or worked in, in just serving the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of grew up in that kind of household, and my dad was a state trooper, a Florida state trooper for 27 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, he worked in the canine unit and in drug interdiction, so we had the German shepherds that live with us. Oh, and, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. He retired. And um, took some time off to uh, do some things that he wanted to do. And then he started working at the state attorney's office. And I think he's been there for almost six or seven years um, oh, wow. as an investigator. So I grew up, um, like I said, in a household where my both my parents um, worked in the public service. And that's kind of what led me to do um, some of the work that I've done over uh, my time as a lawyer. Yeah. So.
0: so where was it always like a heavy heavy focus on government work and... Did you follow out like the political races with your parents or what was your perspective growing up with politics?
1: So growing up, I, I wasn't really involved. I know my my mom was. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom started uh, volunteering with campaigns. I think that's how she first got into okay. them. So Jennifer Carroll was running for office and she's um she used to be the lieutenant governor. She served at, at one point and she was a state representative and she helped her with her campaign. And so and my dad, he wasn't always involved, but they both talked about it a lot. So that's mm. kind of I was raised around around that and just having awareness. Um, it actually wasn't until she ran for office that I fully got immersed into the campaign and, and politics life. And I, I I paid more attention to it. I did go to undergrad at Florida state. So I was in Tallahassee and, um, I did work at some point as an intern, I believe for, um, the local Democratic Party actually doing some campaigning type work, but it was with my major because I was a political science major. Oh, okay. So um, I got exposed to that when I was in college. But um, yeah, so growing up, it was it was an awareness, but personally, I didn't get involved until I was an adult.
0: Yeah. So you majored in poli sci. Uh, you know, what have you? What did you see um, when your mom started running for a campaign? Was it? I think we all kind of look at D.C. and we look at even our state representatives as like having more power or just kind of be sometimes glamorous, you know, Mm. and you just see them shaking hands and stuff. What, what were you exposed to that you didn't expect maybe before your mom was running for a race?
1: I did not realize how much of a grassroots effort it is for, for most candidates. I think for a lot who, a lot of candidates who are incumbents who've been in office and it's not as hard at that point. For example, she ran against Corrine Brown. Yeah. Everyone knew her. She, you know, always had money in her campaign account. Um, But I did not realize how much work, I mean, how many doors we would have to knock on in the middle of, I don't say nowhere, but like. At the time, um, her district was a gerrymandered district. So it ran from Jacksonville to Orlando in this weird little line. And so, you know, one day we'd be in Jacksonville doing an event. The next day we'd be in the Cal Forest, literally knocking on doors and meeting people. But that's really how you make those connections and you get the support and the money as well. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I I definitely learned um,
0: pretty quickly. I remember Brittany and your mom would be out like, I, you know, it was our first year of marriage too. So I'd be like, where are you at? She's like, oh, we're driving back from Orlando. I'm like... Isn't she running in Jacksonville? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's this weird gerrymandered district. Mm-hmm. and Has it changed since then?
1: Yeah, it changed. They redrew the lines. And so um, I believe the Congress, like, for example, now where we lived in Fleming Island is no longer part of that district. Oh, okay. Um, which is, I mean, it's it's fine. It's fair. You don't I need mean, to have someone from Jacksonville representing someone in Orlando. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's odd. Um, I get the reason why it was drawn that way, um, the purpose behind it. But I think they found a better way to... Yeah. To have it, so. yeah.
0: So one of the reasons I wanted to have Cassie on is I think you just have such a unique perspective of life in America, and it's more than just um, you know being upset at maybe some systemic racism and issues and things like that. But you've seen like this is what it takes to actually make change. Your parents have been involved both in law enforcement and, and in um, political races, and you've seen that side. What's life like for you on a daily basis? Um, you know, you go to a job, you've, you're very successful, you become a lawyer. And you see these stories in the news of, of these, you know, horrible, horrible acts done by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, what goes through your mind? Or what's Has this always been around? Has it always been this bad and America just kind of didn't notice it? Or, you know, what? how do you process all of that?
1: Well, I think for me personally, um, I always, we always was aware of it. Like you hear the stories, like when I was a kid, you knew about Rodney King. Yeah, It didn't really become a personal thing that I really, I realized in my own life until Trayvon Martin happened, Mm -hmm. because that was right down the road. I was in Orlando. And at the time I was in law school, my dad was at the state attorney's office and he actually got put on because um, Angela Corey, who was a state attorney at the time, was assigned that case. And so he had to go to Sanford for some time to help build the case, gather evidence, talk to people, get subpoenas out. And so I had a kind of um, a different perspective, but seeing how that played out. Now, again, at the time I was in law school, mm-hmm. so I didn't really know um, the process as far as um, prosecuting cases and and all of that. When I graduated law school, I actually went to work at the state attorney's office, and I was there for three and a half years. Okay. And so I prosecuted misdemeanor cases, and then I went on to prosecute felony cases for about two years. Um, and so having that perspective, I work with law enforcement every single day, mm-hmm. and I knew, you know how cases got brought from arrest to to conviction or if they're found not guilty to trial at least. Um, and so, and I knew, you know, what officers needed to do. And I knew when there were times when officers did things they shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. and their cases got dropped or they got put, you know, on a list or, so I Mm -hmm. understood that. Um, but, it really, again, didn't hit home until it was Trayvon Martin and then Jordan Davis happened, which was in Jacksonville. Hmm. And that was kind of a weird experience as well because that gas station where he was murdered at was a gas station like right down the road from my apartment oh, that wow. I visited. And, you know, so I drove past and you see that. And, and luckily, um, thankfully, he, they were able to convict um, his killer and he's now you know, serving time. Right. But um, those experiences... For me personally, being on that side as as a prosecutor working with law enforcement, but also seeing these heinous acts—some by law enforcement and some just by citizens, like in Jordan Davis's case—it mm-hmm. um, made me well aware of the reality. And I think in 2020, um, more of America became aware. I think a lot of I think a lot of African Americans and and even a lot of white people or other groups of people knew about it. But mm-hmm. I think the majority of people, or at least The perspective was a majority of people really awoke to the reality of what's going on, and it's been going on. Yeah,
0: and I think you know, from my angle of it as a white American man, I like you kind of suspected, like, yeah, I'm sure the stories are true, and I, you know, I have black friends that would be like, yeah, I've been stopped by a cop a lot, but you don't. It wasn't as egregious, I think, and it hadn't been on film the way it has been, right? uh, In in most recent cases, and um, for me, seeing the Ahmad Aubrey. Thing. Like there was just no explanation other right. than these guys chase this guy down, got out of the car. They're not police officers. There's right. no back. And then to hear. And so I, I remember that really stirred me and Brittany. And uh, it wasn't that we were in denial of that uh, happening. But like you said, it kind of came into focus where you started realizing, oh, this is not being made up or fabricated. And, right. and I think growing up and tell me if this is true for you. Um, you know, you, ca- we trusted cops, like we were told like you always go to a police officer now, for you, your dad was one right. did you did you have that suspicion that a lot of other black people have like they're against us? Be careful, or was your perspective a little bit different? My
1: perspective was different because my dad was a great cop, and mm-hmm. i and I knew other officers as well, and I still do know officers, and they're great cops, and yeah. they really the sacrifice that goes into being an officer, you know you put you go out and you don't know if you're gonna come home that day, yeah. Um, But my dad was a great cop. And so that's all I knew. Like, I thought cops are like this. Cops are fair. They're, you know, they they're just and um, they give breaks when they when they can and when they should and they they make arrests when they should. And so, um, like I said, it wasn't until these incidents started happening and and I believe happened at a greater pace. And like you said, it was being filmed. Um, that you realize not every cop is like that, and mm-hmm. and even working at the state attorney's office, I worked with great officers, but you knew there was maybe one or two that you know they maybe didn't do anything egregious like kill someone, but they had a reputation. Yeah, and it made me more suspicious. Now, um, now that I don't work in in um, at the state attorney's office, I I am a little more suspicious. I am aware. I mean, I know. I know that there's a culture of protection. I know that a lot of officers, there's a brotherhood and they look Mm. after each other, um, right or wrong. And so um, I think now my perspective has changed to the reality is there's a lot of great officers. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of bad apples. Yeah. And so.
0: And so that's a term you hear a lot. It's not all of them. It's a bad apple. And I think most people would agree with that. Um, You know, and and that's this is maybe a separate tangent, but like I, I get frustrated with the that the argument is either you're pro-cop or you're against cop. And there's right. there's no room for nuance there. It's like, can I be pro-law enforcement and thankful for the jobs they're, they're doing? And because of I'm thankful, because I hold them to a higher standard, the ones that aren't living up to that, shouldn't we scrutinize them more? and Shouldn't we pull them out?
1: Exactly. But
0: with regard to the bad apples being in the mix with these good ones, is there a sense of we protect each other, even the good ones will... Maybe look out for them or what happens if a good cop says this guy's bad? Like, you know, it probably puts them in a lot of jeopardy as well, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't personally, I can't say that, you know, situations happen, but I definitely think because there's a reason why these officers are still working after all these years. I mean, you hear the cases of the officers that might've shot and killed someone and they pull the record and how many complaints have they had? How many times have they been reprimanded? Why are they still in those positions? And I, I totally agree with you. I think being pro cop means That you respect law enforcement so much that you hold every officer to the same standard. And if they're not cutting it, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to cut them loose. And I think there's a, um, like I said, there's a a level of protection or this is a brotherhood or I I don't know if it's a good old boy system. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it is exactly. But there's a reason why we see these officers who are now, you know, the news is talking about them and you pull their file and this is not the first time they've been in trouble.
0: Yeah. And I think it's an unfair expectation, I think, from especially people that are just online and have no stake in the game at all, just to be angry, to be like, people need to call them out. People, you know, it's asking a lot, I think, of the good cops in some ways of like, if I do this, this might jeopardize my career and then the good I was doing. So there's a lot more at stake. And I I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I don't think it's a symptom that's local to cops because I remember, um, you know, years ago when the Catholic priests, in the movie Spotlight was about all the the abuse of these priests against these children. Uh, you found out the same thing would kind of happen with them. They've been bounced around. They're just like send them to a different yes. location. Send them. To, so it's it's not a, uh, I think an issue that is only pertains to police officers. We just see it more, and they're the ones with the authority. And right. I think that's what's hard for me about all this stuff. And some of the differences between like Ahmad Aubrey and then George Floyd is that these were just guys that were running around and chasing down an unarmed black man versus this because a guy, George Floyd, law enforcement, the very people he's, he's supposed to trust. And so what do you, what, if you're
1: driving down the road and you get stopped by a cop, what what's going through your head? Um, truthfully, I get nervous. Even it's funny, even driving and the cop gets behind me, not even, mm-hmm. I'm not even speeding. I make sure I slow down. I make sure, you know, I'm not speeding. I know my, my, <laughs> my license is good. My tags are good. Um, if I get pulled over, I just try to be as respectful as I can. Um, honestly, there's a situation that happened a few months ago. My boyfriend got pulled over for speeding. It was in orange park, but, um, he, I was on the phone with him at the time. Mm. And so I was like, I'm staying on the phone tell him I'm your attorney and I want to stay on the phone. And I want to listen to this whole thing. It's kind of
0: awesome by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Everybody needs a girlfriend who's a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he definitely, uh, likes that part of my job. <laughs> um, but, and the cop was very respectful. I mean, he, he gave him a break, um, but you know, and he told him like, Hey, my girl, this is my girlfriend on the phone. She's a lawyer. She just wants to stay on. He, and he was fine with it. But the fact that, and I was actually driving myself. And so the fact that, you know, I felt the need to do that, yeah, that just speaks to where we are in our society is that I know that you took a note this uh, to protect us, but I know the reality, and this is a black man. Um, in a predominantly white area of town mm-hmm. and um, I don't know you and I don't know what how you feel about people or whatever and so yeah um, that's kind of how I react now which is it's just an unfortunate reality yeah. you just have to be careful and um, you know protect yourself I know there's a lot of people who've made apps now that will record you yeah. know as soon as you get pulled over or you can talk to Siri and Siri will call someone so they can listen. Yeah. Um. And like I said, sad, but I feel like at this point it's necessary at times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of like security at the airport. Like it's uh, it's unfortunate we have to do this, but I'm glad we're doing this. Right. And so we're making good strides, I guess, on that side. But it's sad that we even have to to do that. So when you were a prosecutor and you're looking at the cases, uh, were there any that you started to notice patterns? Were like, oh, there's a lot of the same stuff, or was it just Bad things that happen, and I guess what I'm getting at asking is, do you think there is a bent? So, so you'll hear people say like, defund the police. We got to get rid of the police. Or, defund can mean different things. I probably shouldn't have said it like that because I'm actually pro. Let's figure out what to do with some money, not abolish the police. Right. Um. I think that's a bad statement. <laughs> just yeah. Cause it's so confusing. Um. But do you think that that yeah that we need a major overhaul in our in our police force and and the way we prosecute? or is it is it kind of running as good as it can and people need to change their expectations
1: i would say it's probably a little bit of both i don't think there needs to be and honestly it's a case-by-case basis off by which department yeah my experience i worked in jacksonville and i worked in clay county um they're both under the same fourth judicial circuit but one was clay county sheriff's office and the other one was jso okay. um, my experience was i don't think there needed to be a major overhaul of either I, but I do think there still needs to be more transparency and the disciplinary actions might need to change a little bit. Cause again, some of these officers are getting in trouble a few times when yeah. you're wondering why do they have a gun and badge? Yeah. So I think that there doesn't need to be an overhaul. I do think that there also needs to be, like you said, don't abolish the police, but let's like look at the money and where is it going and where, yeah. what Thank other you. ways can we spend this money? Um, because they're, they do get a lot of money, but what yeah. are the ways can we spend this money to um, show better disciplinary actions and more transparency and build trust with the community?
0: Yeah. And, you know, your dad's officer for many years. Were there any situations where you, maybe stories you've heard were like, man, it would have really benefited him to have some kind of counselor on site with him? You know, because a police officer will get called when there's a cat in the tree. They'll get called when there's domestic abuse. They'll get called for a drug, you know, right. or somebody that has a mental disability or something. They they we kind of just send them to the front lines for everything. Right. Um. What What's your take on that?
1: I think there definitely needs to be um, uh, not just an officer, but maybe a mental health counselor, depending on the call, because mm-hmm. I have friends who work for JSO now and. Um, they would say like, yeah, you get this, someone who needs to be Baker acted, right? So they're, they're flipping out their house. Their parents don't know what to do. They're not necessarily going to, I can't say cause harm, but for the most part, the parents know they're not causing harm. They're just having some kind of mental breakdown. You don't need an officer or two officers showing up with guns drawn. That's only going to escalate the situation. There does need to be some type of protection for whoever else is in the house and for the citizens at large, but um, I think there should be more than just an officer, have a mental health counselor, um, just different resources that are mm-hmm. available. I think we have to look at p- things holistically. Officers need to look at things holistically and not just say, like, is there a crime being committed? Do I need to arrest someone? But what's really going on? What's really the problem? Is this person just drunk out of their mind or are they right. on drugs are they having a mental breakdown? Do they have a mental condition? because those different scenarios call for different reactions you're not going to just pull a gun on someone who's you know just in the corner freaking out because they're having a problem versus someone who's you know belligerent and coming at you violently so i think um that does need to change i don't really have a, don't think my dad at least he didn't tell me about an experience like that to support (laughs) it but yeah yeah but i know with some of the stories that my friends have told me you know when they were just baker acting someone and do were like, it would have been nice to have yeah. a mental health counselor there.
0: Yeah, because I would imagine in police training, you know, you, you can only be trained for so much. It's like, what, eight months? Six months, six eight months. months. Yeah. yeah, it's very short. My friend Tana is a, um, a mental health uh, counselor, really, says, assess- and she said she had an issue where she was in a parking lot. This woman was, like, screaming, like, going crazy, and mm-hmm. she's, like, she went up and talked to her and kind of obsessed the situation and was, like, there's not really a big issue here. It's just she's just having a bad day. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, if we had called a police officer, there's a report, there's gun, you know, it's like, like you said, it it can easily escalate, right? especially, you know, if you, if you are nervous about the police to begin with, if your gut reaction is when you're being pulled over, let me get my app out and record this. How can that not escalate a system? And and the police officer might not be racist, might not be anything, but he's bearing the image that comes with it. So I think... You know you bring in somebody that's like i've I've kind of been thinking about this lately like um a, a counselor that goes with an officer. It's almost like the police officer can be the muscle and the other guy is like the you know, like you see song. in the the mobster movies, the short little guy is like got this big dude behind him. yeah, but <laughs> kind of like something like that where of like they're here if this goes crazy, but Maybe the first thing we do doesn't need to be, you know, the way we've been doing it all. Yeah. Um. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and start to head into to politics because you're in that world as well. <laughs> um. You know, what's your take on these protests going on that that have been going on? Um, I, I I haven't seen a really good report of um nuanced looking at it from both ways. You know, like I I personally I support the protests uh, when they're peaceful. Right. But when they get out of hand, it's great. You know the I don't know what what what's your take on that whole whole world and um like Black Lives Matter and these things that keep coming up? Do you think it's doing more harm than good in some places, or is it what we all need to be a part of?
1: I think I don't think it's doing more harm than good. And I think that it's something that more people should pay attention to and be a part of. I remember when after George Floyd, the protests started picking up because Black Lives Matter had been protesting for years and years yeah. prior to that. And prior to that, I think they had more of the reputation of trouble um but when george floyd was murdered and they started protesting around the globe that to me was like this is something that people in america who are against it need to wake up and see like if yeah. someone on the other side of the country is having protest and confronting the racism in their country because of what happened here yeah um what let's look at this protest differently i understand people you know scratching their heads and like why are you you know destroying a building why are you doing that and and obviously don't want to commit a crime I'm not advocating for that but what I think a lot of people or some people don't understand is the frustration to it's gotten to that point where they have lashed out and and destroyed a building or burned a car Um, I remember very specifically when the protests were going on I think it was at its height and I was talking to a friend and my friend lived downtown at the time And she was, she's black. And we kind of, we've got close, honestly, because we um, would talk about these kind of things and we've related very closely Mm -hmm. to each other about these issues. But she was saying that um, her family was like, get out from downtown. Her friends were like, get from downtown. They're protesting in Jacksonville and your car's gonna get destroyed or whatever. And she was like, I don't care about my car. I have insurance on my car. They are killing black people Mm -hmm. every, not every day, but they're killing black people in front of us. And this keeps happening, like, Forget the car. The car can be replaced. That life can. Yeah. And I, that's, and I understood that. And I felt, I was like, that's what I mean. It's not right to destroy property, but what about the life that's been killed right. and taken away? And it's just gotten, and it's built. And you know, it's 2020. It was already a rough year to begin with, <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> but you had like Ahmaud Arbery, like that was very moving. That was hard. Yeah. And Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, right. All these people. And I think it's so, it just built and built and built. Um, I personally, looking at the, the amount of protests that went on around the country and then looking at the property damage, I don't think, unless and that could be wrong, but I don't think the property damage was as bad as a lot of people thought it would be or, or even made it out to be. I think the majority of protests were peaceful. Um, I actually protested for the first time ever in my life. Um, with the Jacksonville City Council members, there's a, a number of them, wow. and um, it was it was raining, but we were out there. And we walked around downtown, and it was it was very moving. There's tons of people from different walks of life all together, and mm-hmm. so I think that's what the focus should be on: is look at all these people who've united together peacefully yeah. in protest of Black Lives. And the saying Black Lives Matter obviously is very po- um, political, and there's people who or on the all lives matter side, or as people who are, you know, do feel both ways. Um, the thing is all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Right. It's just that simple. Yeah. And I think people need to focus on that part of it. And, and if you believe then all lives matter, then you wouldn't have an issue saying black lives matter because it's just a subset of absolutely the population. Absolutely.
0: So. Yeah. I think it, the way it's painted on online or on, cable news is that you just see destruction like this is everything the, uh, the protests are doing and you ignore the all the good that's happening meanwhile you know they're <laughs> i guess this doesn't have anything to do with it but it just seems the same type of people are like covid is not that big video i mean the, the rate of death is really not that big right? it's like 0.02 i'm like well if you look at the rate of destruction from the protests it's like point zero. So either that number means something to you, or, does, or does it doesn't. Yeah, it.
1: there's a lot of cherry picking. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's kind of frustrating, but I because I think like people often don't want to hear the why behind the what. To your point of like, well, why is this even happening? Why is there a need for a protest? Like, right. what? Why are Why are they doing what they are doing? Um, and so I think to to sit down and actually talk to people and find out, like, no, they're afraid for their lives, and this right. has been going on for for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just now coming to a head. And as you said, we don't support the violence that comes with it. I never would. And a lot, that's what's frustrating me about some of it is I'm like, you're killing your cause here by erupting and showing everybody you're exactly who they thought you would be type thing. But uh, there's a Frederick Douglass quote I've been thinking a lot about last few months. And it goes something like I'll unite with anybody to do right. And with no one to do wrong. And that's kind of how I viewed black lives matter is stuff. Like if nobody else is doing this and they're doing it, you can't really sit there and throw stones at an organization If, what are you doing? Exactly. And uh, uh, on the other side of that, and um, uh, I read this book uh, called Woke Church by Eric Mason. He talked about, he's like, Black Lives Matter exists because the church collectively failed to address
1: racism. Yes, I um, agree. And you grew up in, in the church as w- well, right? I did. So I'm a Christian. I grew up in a um, conservative Christian household. I went to a church that was large, predominantly white church, um, we left a couple years ago um, and now we attend a church that's um, predominantly black. But regardless of that, um, the biggest 2020 has really shown me and my sister because she's um, she's she grew up in a church as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my whole family did, but she's been we talked about a lot, the silence of a lot of evangelical Christians and I'm doing air quotes when I say this, because again, I don't understand how you can be a Christian and be silent about this issue. Um, That was probably the biggest eye opener is the amount of people who vilified the protest, um, but didn't vilify the actions that caused the protest or Mm. made excuses. um, And, and yet still called themselves Christians. I just, you know, it's, it's hard to, and we all have our flaws. Um, and I'm not saying they're not Christians, but it's, it's hard, especially churches as a whole, you know, there were black churches that would speak about it and there was white churches that didn't speak about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think you're right. The church has failed. And so you have these other groups, these more secular groups who are kind of stepping up because where's the church? I did find this one group on Instagram. I think it's called one race and they're based out of Atlanta and they are um, a bunch of pastors of all different races and denominations and they've come together, and they've kind of stood in the gap, and I, I've really supported that. I wish they would come to Jacksonville, but yeah. um, they talk about race, and they said, you know, we have to. This is, needs to be on the forefront, and we need to address it. And they've done their protests, and they've done their rallies, and of course, they've all been peaceful. But I think that's what we need more of as well.
0: So going from a predominantly white church to a black church, what, what differences have you noticed, other than you probably have much better music, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh, yeah <laughs> well, it was funny because they're, they're also just more um they have like a traditional service and then like the mall so they're they're like 11 o'clock service is more like like celebration type music okay. so, but um i think the black church talks more about social issues okay more than and
0: when they talk about social issues how does how does that how is that
1: addressed um it's addressed it's 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 not Harped on as much like it's not just about that, but it's just a dress where we're aware. Like my pastor bringing up an example, he talked about the president. He says, "Pray for your." Pre-. This is when President Trump was president, mm-hmm. but um, you know, he obviously said pray for him. But he talked about some of the things he would say, and as a leader, how that impacted people, and how so- mm-hmm. certain groups of people, his followers, might have believed this lie because their president said it, and so he was more. He'll talk about it more bluntly, but um, those issues, and I think just, I mean, the especially with um, last year with the number of black people that were killed, either by police or civilians that made the news, he talked about those people and- um, Wow, from the pulpit. From the pulpit, straight, yeah, they have talked about them, and but then also offered, you know, how can we, because at the end of the day, it's all sin, and so whether yeah. you're dealing with this type of sin or, or coronavirus, we talked about that you know, how can you go on and keep the faith and so he kinda tied yeah. it into you just real world issues and how to address them. Yeah. Whereas I feel like um the other churches, some of the white churches, they they'll address certain issues, but again, they don't address all of them.
0: Yeah. So. it's I think I think a lot of white people, I can speak for white people like me, um you almost or you're afraid to put your toe in the water because like what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't do it? Um but I've I've come to find you know, just in the last year, I've started saying more about, it. I'm not, I don't consider myself an activist or anything like that. I just write blogs or do a podcast, but you know, you, you, you're already not, you're already going to offend somebody by not saying so. you know, like right. you're already, people are looking at you or they're not. Um, but I think like this, th- so I give, I said that to say, like, I give white people a pass on some of this stuff. Like we don't know what to do, you know, Right. but we're at a point now where I'm starting to think like, well, are we a city on a hill and our walls are closed up and that's all we see and all we talk about is Jesus and that's it? Or are we a city within a city? You know, are we um a royal priesthood among re- regular people in, right. in the world? And so I've just started to notice I'm like, well, we can't talk about what's on Netflix and then act like we didn't see the news as well. Exactly. And um like I don't expect every white pastor in the world to to all of a sudden turn into MLK overnight. And I think it would be disingenuous in some ways to be like yeah. Okay. Uh, I just learned about this last week, so now I'm gonna explain how racism works. You know. Yeah. But to your point, to do what your church is doing and, and it, talk about justice, because the Bible talks a lot about justice. Exactly. Um, and then go from go from the Bible to how it applies in real wel- real world. Because to me, it's it's almost like the building is burning or the plane's going down, and and weird flight attendant like, uh, who would anyone like some Coke? Like, would anyone, You know, like right. You re- realize what's going on right now, right? Like, yeah. Like, so to just act like it's not there. Um, the analogy I've been thinking about is um, it's like we're a thousand pound fat man, and we didn't know we were. And then racism and all this stuff is we've it's come to a head, and we're like, oh, you have to lose five hundred pounds in a week, or you're gonna die. And so everyone's just like feeling this extra pressure of like, well, wha- I didn't know, you know, like and. The the thing I, I would take away from that is that, well, it's because we did not make justice part of our spiritual diet to begin with. Right. It feels so heavy right now because it's been so openly anno- uh, avoided for so many years. Right. Um, so what would you say to people like me and others that are, like, just starting to get into this, just starting to understand it's a real issue um, and maybe feel a burning and want to say something uh, you had said, like, it, it's worth speaking out about. Right. What would you say to
1: people like that? I would just say have these conversations. Do what we're doing now. Talk about it. At the end of the day, we're all humans. Yeah. And I am i think I consider myself a reasonable person. Now there are people who are, you know, are going to be extremes on both sides, whether it's pro-Black Lives Matter or against it. And mm-hmm. maybe those two people aren't ever going to come together and talk. But I truly believe that the majority of people, at least who I see in my social circle, um, are decent people who can sit down and have these tough conversations. I've had a number of my white friends reach out to me, like DM me on Instagram. And it's like, I don't know, but I want to know. And I want to have these conversations like, please educate me or tell me, or, you know, give me, you know, whatever it is, just reach out. And it's okay not to know. It's okay to say, I'm, I don't want to be offensive or I don't want to, that's fine. This is a, it's not one size fit all. It's Mm -hmm. a very gray area. And I may feel a certain way about a topic and another black person may feel another way. We're not all the same, we're not yeah. a monolith. So I think it's just sitting down and having these conversations. And uh, if I could share a story kind of yes, similar please. to that. So um, not in church, but in my prior job, my work environment, I remember after the weekend of protests after George Floyd, uh, we were all working remotely. And so we would have these uh, Monday morning Zoom calls, audio Zoom, so you don't have to like, turn your camera on. <laughs> um and that was a really hard week for me to concentrate about work when there was so much like i was just feeling so heavy emotionally spiritually like it was just it was really hard yeah so i'm on the phone and there's another black um, woman who i work with but then there's everybody else is white and there's maybe 10 or so other people um so you know we're waiting for my boss to call to get on the line and people are just kind of casually talking and i'm quiet and this one guy starts talking about the space shuttle because that same weekend, the space shuttle um, SpaceX program, oh, yeah, yeah. they launched. And so he's like, oh, did anybody catch the space shuttle this weekend? They're all talking about the space shuttle. And I'm just like, space shuttle? Like, what world are you living in? Like, <laughs> right. half the country is burning. Yeah. You know, people are protesting. Like, hmm. And I just remember feeling so, like, disconnected. And like like you said, like, the thousand pounds. You didn't realize you were yeah. a thousand pounds. Like, that's what it, it seemed like for them. And the next a few days later so i talked to my my black friend who i work with and we're just like you know they they obviously are living in different world Mm -hmm. well we had to go into our office at some point and we were there and it was really hard i think my friend had been crying in her office Mm -hmm. i had been struggling just to sit and concentrate my boss is in there and we were like you know what we're going to talk to our boss because we call ourselves a family we're a really close tight-knit group of people we talk about everything you know not maybe politics as much but we share our personal lives and all this stuff and if they truly care about me you know for me i can't call off work i'm not sick but if they truly care do they really do they see me and do they really Mm. understand what it's like for me i'm not just an attorney i'm a black woman before any of that and so um me and my friend went into my boss's office and she's like, "Oh my gosh, she thought we were going to quit because we were just were like <laughs> and she's like, "What's going on?" And, you know, we just kind of broke down. We're like, "Honestly, it's really hard. Do you understand what we're going through right now?" And she hadn't. She had some other personal issues that she was dealing with her with her mom over the weekend. She's like, "I saw the news, but I had so much going on. I didn't really pay attention." but oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That's my white privilege. I saw it and I turned it off and I went about my business. I didn't realize like you see it. It impacts you personally. You're living with this. This is a burden on you. Yeah. And so it was a tough conversation, but we had that conversation. She's very open. Her husband's a pastor. And so I and the other girls are Christian. We actually go to the same church. And so we were able to talk more on a spiritual level as well, which That's is good. awesome. Yeah. Um, but from that conversation, we talked about it in our in our Zoom, we talked about the issues, like this is a lot that's going on. Cause we would talk about coronavirus and all that and right. try to encourage each other. But she brought that up and then it became a bigger conversation within our firm. So our firm was we're in Jackson, but we're statewide mm-hmm. and based out of Miami. And so she ended up reaching out to a major shareholder in South Florida and was like, We need to talk about this because we'll send out these emails about you know, wellness and make sure you do yoga and, you know, quarantine and all this mm. stuff. Like we need to discuss this issue because we have black attorneys and even people who aren't black who are feeling yeah. this. And it's really hard. And how can we just go about our business and expect them to bill and work and carry on when they have this heavy yeah. emotional. And so it actually was amazing. We ended up writing um, me and a few other black attorneys throughout the state wrote articles about our perspective. And it's called Perspectives. Yeah. piece About. Um, our own personal experience with racism or what was going on and how that affected us and they put it together and they, they um, shared it throughout the firm. So that's and where that came from. That's where I, that article came that's from. That's what kind
0: of made me want to have you on the show. It was <laughs> like, man, it was, it was so impactful. But Yeah,
1: yeah. so that's what I was born at. But it was, again, sitting and having a conversation. And my boss was like, I don't want to offend you. I don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm like, that's fine. But acknowledge us. Acknowledge that, yeah. you know, just like hmm. if you were going through something and your mom is in a hospital and we'd write you cards and we'd pray for you and send you, acknowledge yeah. the fact that we're we're dealing with this, yeah. So that's so.
0: Oh, I love that story because it started with just you and your friend being like, "Can I just talk to somebody about this?" Mm-hmm. And then it spread. And then, I mean, I, I love that so much. And um, you know, my company just did um, um, MLK mo- moment over um, last Friday, right before the, the break. Mm-hmm. And uh, we watched the "I Have a Dream" speech as a company all over Zoom. And my my CEO got on afterwards and just was like, tears in his eyes, it was just like, you know, his. I think it's just unique his faith and his mission and his passion and we all need more of that and I I was just blown away that like we're not a Christian church or anything like that right but this stuff is important and it's impactful and it's people's lives right um and so kind of one of the things I was thinking about also is um you know you hear about like oh it's just trendy now to be woke and it's just Mm -hmm. everybody just wants their 15 minutes of fame and and maybe that's true for some people that kind of see a movement and they're going to blow up their Twitter feed, trying to get people's attention and saying things that piss people off. Yeah. You know, it's not something new. And I was listening to Stevie wonder a couple months ago and he's got a song. You haven't done nothing. And it's all about politicians. Like you haven't done anything for us. You keep telling us the same thing. Uh, And then he's got a song called the black man. And it's like, this is from 1972. Like this is not a new issue um, that that's going on. So when your mom was running um, for Congress, my my wife was her campaign manager for a time in Jacksonville. And we had just moved from D.C. a couple months before that, and Mm -hmm. I remember when I met your mom, I was just like, "This woman is too good for D.C." (laughs) I would would talk to Brittany. I'm like, "How is she going to be so nice and like, you know, go up there and do this?" And it was so refreshing to see somebody that cared about politics. And um, in the end, she didn't didn't win the race against Karen Brown, who ended up in prison. We should add, (laughs) right? I mean, so. you know, so you're, th- what was unique though is that your mom was a black woman and was on the Republican ticket and mm-hmm. that was, I mean, there's not been that any met many African Americans who have run as a Republican, you know. Um, and you said you were working for the Democratic office. Is politics, do you do you and your family like see eye to eye on stuff? And I don't want to pull the curtain <laughs> back too far, but <laughs> no. I'm just curious, like, you guys are so close and you're there campaigning. Yeah. Do you see, what what do you see similarly and maybe what do you see differently? And so,
1: um, I do have a lot of faith because I think when people can come together and talk and even if they don't agree on everything, just to have the conversation, mm-hmm. that is how that's what America is about. And that actually has happened in our own family. So I I grew up, like I said, in a conservative household and I um, I. Considered myself to be conservative. I, I interned with the, Demo- the Democratic Party because it was just an opportunity and I okay. wanted to learn. But it was funny because I was in college and I talked to my mom about it. And I was like, Mom, they're Democrats. And she's <laughs> like, no, go. They've got great points. Like, you'll learn a lot. And, wow. you know, you may agree, you may disagree, but have that experience. And that's what my parents always taught is you don't have to think like us Um it's okay if you disagree, but we can sit and we can talk and we can find things that we can agree on. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that was what her message because yeah, she was a black Republican running in a heavily democratic district Yeah, um, where people were looking at her crazy. Like, why are you doing this? And she says, we don't have to agree on everything. Most of my family, extended family, if not all are all Democrats and it's fine. Um, now we'll say since uh, maybe 2020 and maybe a little bit before that during Trump's presidency, we disagreed on a lot of things and we had these conversations and they, you know, they were, they were real conversations. But at the end of the day, we always said, we love you. You know, we love each other. We support each other. We, we can agree on what we agree on and we disagree on what we disagree on. And we we kept it like that. We kept it cordial. We never, and I think that's what, that's what America needs. Like if we can just sit down and talk Mm -hmm. and, and not, you know rush to call people names or to um you know get violent because in some cases people get violent but if we can sit down and have a conversation i think we get a lot more done and i feel like now that we're in january 2021 and we have a new administration but there's more people uniting and I, i even over during the election um i knew a lot of other conservatives who were you know let's unite because right is right and wrong is wrong. And it doesn't matter what par- political party uh, is on my voter registration. Yeah. You know, this is how I feel about this particular issue. And it doesn't matter if, you know, this, my party leader doesn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I think that's what helps our country move forward. Um, And, and I also believe that there's a good balance. Like there should be a, you know, democratic president sometimes, and there should be a Republican president right. because there's, there's, both sides people aren't just one or the other they're both and i i personally consider myself to be more in the middle than anything i'm not one side or the other and i think a lot of people might feel the same way too
0: yeah well i definitely do i'm glad you said
1: it's very refreshing hearing you say you could have a disagreement with the family member and
0: still (laughs) hug them and love them at the end of it because it seems so foreign now like there's so many of these stories of people that just I don't talk to my dad anymore because he was, a, you know, in some QAnon thing or whatever. And yeah. um, I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm politically homeless, I would call myself. <laughs> I don't know if that's a PC term. Whatever. I said it. Um, but <laughs> I grew up in, in Ocala, Florida, which is, I mean, super conservative land. Um, they had the rebel flag rally in the entire country right in Ocala, Florida. I'm like, mm, okay. Lovely. So, yeah. But I grew up heavily in the church. And, like, you can kind of – so I, I tell people, I'm like, you can kind of guess what my background probably was – um, but similarly where I, I, I just can't align myself to a party completely and, and then trust them to do everything. And I've always, I, I hate when, if you ever say you voted for a Democrat or whatever, you're immediately thrown, if, if you vote for Democrats, it's always like, oh, so you love abortion and everything. Like, right. It, that's exactly what I said. Yes. Like yeah. give me all of everything that's any Democrats ever said. But if you vote for a Republican, like, oh, you don't care about poor, you don't care about like, I think, like you said, we need to be talking to each other more to understand, well, why would they vote for this person? What have they learned? Maybe what, what I haven't learned. Right. Um. So what faith do you have in the political system? Because it's more in our face than it ever is, has been before. You know, right. Just nonstop. I personally feel that we we put too much power in the hands of politicians to fix a lot of stuff that we should fix for ourselves. But, you know, with your experience in in, in law and in litigation, what what's something that an average American can do to maybe make some of this good change that they want to see happen? Because I think... In general, all Americans are like, yeah, racism is not good. Whether we identify in ourselves what level racist we all are, I think we all share some prejudice. Um, we all agree that, yeah, let's. I want justice to be to be played out right. But you know, beyond just arguing on Facebook, what what's some practical things we can do, and how can we look to our um, governmental systems we have in place now to maybe make some of those changes?
1: Yeah. So I, my mom always taught me, and I learned this that things change happens at the local grassroots level, like president, whoever the president is, like your day to day is most likely being affected by like your local Mm. county commissioner councilman or or state representative. And I think the same thing goes when it comes to people like, Let's just have these conversations like one-on-one. Like we don't have to align ourselves with what President Trump said or President Biden said or Democrat or Republican. Let's just have these conversations. One line that, my mom had all these like one-liners I felt like in her campaign (laughs) because she would give like not the same speech, but you know, it it was over and over. And she would always say like, right? when She's like, when I look at a hungry child, I don't see a hungry Democrat child or a hungry Republican child. Like I see a hungry kid. And a lot of these issues, aren't really red or blue, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just gray human issues. And maybe there's different ways of going about it or different aspects that might be more liberal or more conservative, but at the end of the day, like we can just come together, political parties aside and like figure out how can we address this issue. And I agree just because you voted one way doesn't mean you vote for all political issues associated with that party. we're not people that just fit into a box. Like we come from so many different backgrounds and have so many different experiences. It's, it's you can't really contain yourself in mm-hmm. one box. And so I think if people would take a step back and one-on-one have these conversations, and then, you know, you have these conversations and you figure out a solution and then present that to your local elected official. And if they're like, no, because you're a Democrat and whatever, or you're mm-hmm. a Republican, then you elect somebody else yeah. or you find other people to run for office who Will represent you no matter what party you're in. Yeah. So I think it just starts at that like basic like level of just one-on-one conversations or within small groups yeah. and letting it grow from there.
0: Yeah, and I think the example you gave earlier of uh, how it kind of grew in your company. Start the conversation is great advice for all of us to just talk to people Mm -hmm. and maybe get offline so much. Get off Facebook. That was my (laughs) second point.
1: Log off of Facebook. Oh man. Get off of Twitter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just be in the real world because all that stuff on there is written to inflame. Mm -hmm. You know, you your passions and people say crazy stuff because they think they can, and everybody else that they're following says the same crazy stuff. But in reality, are you going to say it to somebody's face? Right. I know. (laughs) So. Yeah. Well I think about like a lot of the
0: complaints is like, oh the mainstream media and this gotcha journalism and I I'm like, we're we're gotcha people. We're mm-hmm. always looking for how can I find the way you slipped up, uh uh-uh, uh you said that and that deflates your entire argument of whatever. Right. And uh, it's no wonder I, I I think, you know, I blame uh cable news and Facebook for a lot of misinformation and and I don't know if like CNN blatantly lies, but they sure <laughs> as heck like pour gas on the fire and you Thank know, you. same with any any place that's trying to stay on tv um but i think like if we're always just looking for the angle of how can they how can they be wrong about this how can somebody else be wrong about this it's just all continuous misinformation it right. drums up and then people double down like how do you end up getting people who attack the united states Capitol it's because they keep doubling down and they exactly. keep doubling down and they hear the same arguments yep and it makes them push back um what was your what was your thought on january 6th what wow, was going through your head? that
1: I I was at work and I could not work. Yeah. I literally was just like my mouth was on the floor. Yeah. I just I mean, in the beginning I'm like okay I'm watching it and then like I mean my coworker came in he's like they reached the Capitol. and I was like what yeah and just watching it it was so disheartening it was so so sad, um, just another level. Not only have this has never happened before. Yeah. Um. Besides I guess the war of eighteen twelve was the last time the capital. But seeing like images of a person with a Confederate flag in a Capitol. Yeah. I mean, this is literally that's that's Treason. That's like if, if another country came and flew their flag in our United States, that's exactly, exactly what that was. Exactly. So seeing that and then seeing the fact that this group of white people were able to get this far, if it was a black person or black right. black lives matter, they I they would not have made it that far. Yeah. Yeah. Um and seeing officers take pictures and, and it was just it was surreal, to say the least. It yeah. was a very just wow moment.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, I felt the exact same way of like, okay, you know, I support anybody's right to protest. Right. If you want to go there and protest an election that I don't think was rigged, but if that's what you think, go, go, for, go, it. go for it. Right. But when they started breaking into the Capitol and it was just, yeah, I felt the same way of like, oh my, what is happening? This, Also, this can happen. Like I right. would have thought like. Nobody would, you know, flames would have come up or something you and swallowed know, them. But
1: it, it just, and it, even from, like, an international standpoint, I'm like, other countries who hate us are seeing, like, how easy it was for a group of people to <laughs> right? just get into the Capitol. And, yeah. like, it was insane. It was, it was crazy. I want to
0: mention something you, you brought up is the rebel flag. And, you know, if your mom's in the Republican Party, you guys were in the Republican Party, What what's it like for your mom, like, to, you know, these people would collectively probably call themselves Republicans. I don't know, mm-hmm. if, moving forward, what's happening with Trump, but... What kind of? I mean, what? How did she
1: process that? How did she like deal with it? She stood up against it, and we all did. We knew that that flag is a flag of hatred. It's a flag of division. It's a it's a um, a flag of treason. Um, she actually earlier last year um, in St. Augustine, they had a Civil War um, monument, and I think it had a rebel flag on it, or it was a Confederate soldier. That's what it was. Okay. Um, on public property in downtown St. Augustine, it was a big thing because people were trying to get removed, and she. Um, protested against it. And she was out there for hours and saying like, this needs to be, if you want to take it into your private property museum and have it in your house, fine. Yeah. But this is not who we are. And this is not what should be on public property. Hmm. Um It is sad because a lot of people, and it, it's just, to me, it doesn't make any sense how you can be a Republican and quote unquote, so American, but then you also have that flag. That's just right. the most anti, I mean, was yeah. a civil war and that you lost, you lost, <laughs> you lost it. But I get, it's the culture of the South. I yeah. mean, I, Growing up in Clay County, we I grew up in Jacksonville for, we moved to Clay County when I was 13. So it wasn't until then that I first saw the rebel flag and like kids mm. would have it on their shirts and say like the South will rise again. I never yeah. understood that until I became an adult. And I'm like, how insane is that? Yeah. And you guys call yourselves some proud Americans and right. you have your American flags and you still have that flag. Yeah. So. Um, Man, it's it's crazy
0: that they were willing to isolate your mom who's even politically on their side, yet... I, I'm just so proud of your mom for going down oh. and doing that. It's awesome. <laughs> I new know whole family, it's inspiration. So you hear a lot of, though with like the southern, and I grew up, you know, Cal. It's like same rebel flags. I was in a fake band in high school called the Southern Cross Rebels. We just did parodies of like you know what, but like you just think yeah, the rebel flag, what? Yeah, and it's taken on not a new connotation, but like it's a it's more offensive now. It's being taken down more. So what do, what's your reaction when someone says, well, it's about heritage not hate, or it, it doesn't really mean that? What would you I, say to
1: somebody? I mean, the Nazi flag was historical, but it, <laughs> what does it represent? Yeah. And what does this flag represent? I mean, it, it's interesting. My mom did this. Um, she's big on Ancestry, and mm-hmm. she was able to track, like, far back to where there was, like, Confederate soldiers on my dad's side. Really? And Union soldiers on my mom's side. And she's like, they probably fought against each other at some point, maybe. Wow. Um. So, heritage, I get it. I mean, it's in my own family far back enough but it's still bad it's still wrong. Yeah. And how can we ever be a United States when you still have this flag that represents civil war and yeah. and literally separating from the United States. Yeah. So I don't buy the whole heritage I think it's just an excuse of um wanting to continue on being um racist or ignorant or whatever mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of a cheap cover up for it.
0: Man, that's good. It's a, a yeah. way to cover up what's really under in their heart. Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody uh, recently, my friend Lindley about uh, conservatism and progressivism and stuff. And he brought up a good point and said like conservative and conservatism is good. If you know when to shed things and like, you know, like we can't just be conservative from like, what if you're a conservative in 1776, I'm conservative all the way back to 1775, you know, like at some point when the country was founded, you know, we have to move on. Um, And so I think that's something worth noting is like, we can, you can still love, the South, you can love your farm that your parents had or whatever, but you got to progress with the times. And, and right. it's not it's not asking too much, I think, to take down rebel flags from, no. from government buildings, especially.
1: Right. And again, if you personally feel that way and you have your own private property, sure, go for it. I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell you what to do with your, with your private property. But yeah, from government buildings and taxpayers are paying for it. And literally, it's just the opposite of the American flag. <laughs> right. like, why?
0: So, you know, as a lawyer and all your experience and... Do you have faith in the judicial system and in the process we have in place?
1: Um, I would say I do. There was a point in time when the election was being challenged that I think myself and a lot of other lawyers, because we talked about it, was like, whoa, Like, what is this? Because despite how you felt about the candidates, democracy, it is what it is, and the Constitution is what it is. and. As lawyers, we take an oath to uphold the Constitution. That's part of our duties. And you can lose your license if you go against that. And to see lawyers file these frivolous lawsuits and make these allegations to literally upend our democracy for the sake of a candidate was very disturbing. Hmm. But what gave me faith and what gave me hope in our system was these judges who dismiss these lawsuits. Yeah, and it didn't matter. There were judges who were um, appointed by President Trump and there were judges who were present by uh, President Obama. It didn't matter how they felt um, politically or what side they led on. They put that aside as they're supposed to do as judges, and they upheld the Constitution. So seeing that gave me a lot of a lot of faith that our democracy can carry on because ultimately, that's what it would have came down to if yeah. they challenged in the Supreme Court.
0: So when how are those – can you walk us through, like, because we heard, like, yeah, 60 cases brought. What happens? It just can be anybody that's like, uh we want to contest whatever, and you present a case to court. What, what, what happens? So
1: and it's funny because it, it's not supposed to be whoever. Like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to have standing. And what we saw, at least in a few of them, were people challenging – I mean, I think it was Texas challenging Georgia's election. And the federal judge was like, you don't have standing. Like, how yeah. are you as a state – the ironic part is Texas, He was always like, <laughs> right. don't mess with Texas, challenging another <laughs> yeah. state's election system, like, yeah. you know, and so that's why their cases got dismissed, but um, from the ones that I followed and read, um, the, ju- the, uh, the opinions from the judges, a lot of them were, there was no evidence to support it, mm-hmm. and you have to have evidence, and this is, I made comments, this is how bad their lawsuits were. Most times you can, um, if you file a case and you don't have sufficient evidence, the judge will dismiss it. And they say without prejudice, meaning you can come back and refile, but you need to have some facts to support your allegations. Hmm. These were so bad they got dismissed with prejudice. Like, don't bring that back. There's not any facts. You're just making things up. You You don't have affidavits. You don't have anything. And so, I mean, it was literally just throwing stuff at the wall. But again, it takes me back to the fact that these are seasoned lawyers, quote unquote, yeah. attorneys who have, you know, taken these same oaths that all of us have taken and for them to just try these, uh, these games and, and use our court system in a way to win politically. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite disturbing. And I, I, a few friends and I were talking to like, you know, if I was a judge or if I was another attorney, like I would probably say something to the, the state bar. Exa- yeah. Bar examiners like.
0: That's what I was going to ask. So can they potentially be disbarred? You know, because if can, you're a doctor, and you got their spouting, whatever. Right. You can lose your license
1: there. Um, I know in Florida. So I think his name is Matt Gertz. He's one of the <laughs> louder uh, political leaders. Uh, there is an active petition um, with the Florida Bar to have um, have him disciplined because of his actions oh, and statements. Yeah, the congressman. because He's guy. a lawyer. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. If you were gonna say, right, what a frat boy looks like, you would draw this guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean, like he's him. it's he's in, I, I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> whenever his election's up, they can yeah. have some run against him. But yeah, I know there's um, an act of like petition that someone filed to have him disciplined uh, because wow. because you're a lawyer on top of being a representative. Yeah, but you've made these allegations and you have part you know participated in this attempt to complete destroy democracy for yeah. president Trump
0: so let me ask you something um, about Supreme Court justices because that's always a big um, a lot of people there are like I don't like like with Trump like I don't like Trump but I want to get a Republican on the Supreme Court um, and a lot of people on the other end is like oh if they get the Supreme Court seats you know we're doomed do you do you think it's as scary as people make it out to be if you don't have a conservative or a liberal judge?
1: I don't think it is because you've seen, we've seen um, past decisions come out from justices who were Republican or nominated by Republican judges and are siding with the, with the more liberal judges. Mm-hmm. I think um, obviously with your big ticket issues like abortion where people are very polarized, that could be something that could be potentially scary if depending on how you feel about the issue. But I also think that there are just those justices. I mean, they the highest court of the land. And so if anyone's yeah. going to uphold the constitution over a political party, it's going to be the justices. Yeah. And so I, I personally, it doesn't scare me to have it. And I, again, it's, it is what it is. You know, you're going to have more liberal judges and you'll have Republican judges and some will die and you'll replace them. And I don't agree with packing the court. I don't think that the court should be expanded because then you're just playing games yeah. and, and you're really politicizing a, a branch that is supposed to be um, neutral and not mm-hmm. have any sway. Um, so, but I, I personally, unless it's abortion an issue, I think the most of the um, decisions that are made, I personally don't think it's just as scary as some, but again, that's just. Yeah. Because they, they're still,
0: as you said, like they're upholding the law. They're, they're not, they're not somebody with an agenda either on right. that. Right. They're just like, I, Maybe I'm a conservative leaning, that's how I voted or whatever, but I'm still reading the same documents, trying to see it through the lens of the Constitution and make the best call. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, and they're obviously, so the conservatives, they read, traditionally, they're known to read the Constitution as it was written in 1776. Which is why a lot of people are against it because they're like, okay, in 1776, or I'm sorry, I don't know <laughs> the Constitution wasn't written in 1776, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. when it was written, then yeah. you know it was like white men were the only right, ones who had right. rights, and so that's changed obviously with what's the amendments. What's that term? A fundamentalist, or is it a litter? There's something? It's um, it's I can't think of it. That's <laughs> me, but the way they interpret it is just a strict interpretation, mm-hmm. whereas the more liberal uh, side would say this changes with time, so you take what's what they wrote, but you apply it to today in 2021. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but I know that there's judges that fall in between. So, you know, and um, the late Justice Scalia was, he read it, you know, as it was written and what did the founding fathers intend mm-hmm. when they wrote this? Whereas um Justice Ginsburg read it as, well, apply this to 2021 or 2020 mm-hmm. or whenever. And how can this, um what they intended, how can it be interpreted? So that's where you kind of get your two sides. But, um, Again, you've seen justices who were more um, on the conservative side, side with more liberal yeah. judges, and so you just—I don't think it's as bad as they think. And 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 the whole thing with the election—I know that there was one case that went to the Supreme Court, and it got dismissed, and mm-hmm. so and that's that was right. a Republican, you know, Supreme yeah. Court. So Trump appointed what three of those? Three of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. I man, that's that's saying something. Yeah. Um. So when you started getting interested in going to law school, what, what was that development like for you um, that made you like, okay, because one of the worst pieces of advice I ever got in my life was like, uh, yeah, if you can't figure out what to do, just go to law school. And then, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to be a lawyer, then you have a degree. Yeah, yeah for, It's not that simple to come to the conclusion of going to law school. So what was it like for you? And then I want to also know, like, how do you view the the Constitution? And like, you know, is it this document's amazing? Or do you yeah. see like, you know.
1: So um, I... I actually kind of fell into going to law school in some ways because it was I was in college around 2009 2010 and we were in a recession. There was like yeah. no jobs, and all the professors were like, "Go to school, like stay in school, go to grad school, law school." There's no jobs, and I was a political science major, so almost everybody in that major already planned on going to law school. Okay. so I was like, "Well, let me look into this." Um, and at first, I I kind of just researched like what lawyers could do. Cause I, there's no other attorneys in my family. I don't know anybody, so I just kind of just did my own research and I thought I wanted to do family law. Um, so I went to law school with that in mind and I changed my mind and decided, you know, I don't want to do family law, but, um, it all worked out. And I would say, I kind of view it as the constitution, as a living, breathing document, which is, I guess, more of the liberal side. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, founding fathers had no idea what 2021 will look like and right. what they wrote was great. And, and how it's been amended, the amendments are great, but they've obviously these amendments were made because times have changed. You know, women should vote. African-Americans should be able to vote. Like all these rights should be included in this document. And so, um, I see it more as a, a document that we don't need to, we don't always need to change, but we need to look at it from the lens of what would they intend in 2021? And how Mm -hmm. can this apply to us? Because we're not back in 1700 or 1800. Yeah.
0: I think that's, that's how I view it as well as the, you know, I said, well, we have the Bill of Rights. So like the Constitution is unconstitutional right from day, you know, from first 10 years or whatever. Um, I think about the kind of similarly um, when Jesus was talking about putting old wine in new wine skins. You know, like you can't—these mm-hmm. things are made to evolve. It doesn't refute the truth of them. You, right. You keep the substance, but how does it apply to a modern-day situation? Like, right. how do we take these old things that are good and apply them to something new? So, yeah, right. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So where do you think the future is heading? Maybe in your own personal life, um, 2020 was a year like we haven't seen in -hmm. in our lifetimes. Um, What's your hope
1: for the future and maybe what what are some of your goals? Well, I hope, I guess, on a broader scale for more unity. I think people, hopefully we can move forward. I know there's still a lot of bitter people and angry people, but if we can just come together and and find solutions to these problems, not one party and one president is not going to solve it we're still in the middle of a pandemic um but i I do hope that we're able to sit down and and continue these conversations and find things that we have in common and stop highlighting our differences i think that's how we can move forward um and personally in my own life i want to continue doing that with people um i don't know that's (laughs) that's kind of the bigger picture i think personally i guess on my own personal level um just continue on i don't know (laughs) (laughs) That's good
0: question. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a hard question. Like, where do you see yourself in 20 years? Yeah. And it's like, we're still
1: trying to like (laughs) process 2020. And we're in a pandemic. I'm like, I just want to like be over it and, and move on. But I know um, it's
0: so weird. It's it's this hovering cloud over everything is COVID. I was talking to Brittany, like, you know, the election was so like, what's happening? You're biting your nails. And then you finally get an answer. You're like, Oh, it's over. Oh, crap. There's still a COVID going on. Yeah. Hovering over everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to get out of it pretty soon, but I hope so too. Well, I really, really appreciate you being on the show. And I think you have such a great perspective on everything. And I'd love to have you on the future. Just talk. Um, I just, I really appreciate you taking the time and give my love to your mom and your family. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great. Thanks, Kathy.